If you're a New York Jets fan, you've experienced heartbreak. Are you a better person for it? I can't answer that. Of course, I mean, what the hell's the answer? Of course not. P-S-N-Y. Jets fans are a different type of breed. They're tortured. They're often miserable. They often fight with themselves. They, they can't... It's like they're wound up all the time, walking around this great big earth. Is it better to experience this stuff? The torture and the crying and the screaming and the yelling. I mean, we two years ago, we watched the Philadelphia Eagles in the sweetest of fashion knock off the Patriots in the Super Bowl. How was that celebration? You know, it's, it's interesting. I grew up a Jets, Rangers, Knicks, Yankees fan. For some reason... Only one team has removed itself from the die-hard category. I never thought it would happen, but it's happened. It's the Yankees. How? Why? I don't know. I didn't play baseball. Didn't play hockey. Played the other two sports. But that can't be it. I'm as die-hard a Rangers fan as there is. It has to be the spoiled nature that the Yankees have provided me over the years. Through the 90s, uh, you know, 2009, the most winningest organization in the history of professional sports. It has to be that. Also, coupled with the fact I've hated their veteran superstar strategy that took hold once Giambi came to town and they held on to that fear of empty seats in August until they finally allowed Cashman to do a true rebuild a couple years back. But it has to be the spoiled nature. You know, I saw a Rangers Cup, Jets and Knicks, nothing. It has to be that. And there's no doubt when a fan is tortured, a fan base is tortured, and the team actually finally gets it done, that championship is that much sweeter. This is, this is a fact. I mean, do Patriots and Red Sox fans actually enjoy those championships? 
Would he, would he kidding me? If it's happening all the time, how is it special? For the young fans, absolutely not. For the older fans who suffered, okay, I could see it. I could see it in a more poignant regard. But today we talk about the Jets and how, when, if they win a Super Bowl, I mean, win one, just get to a Super Bowl, it will be as epic as anything as the NFL's ever seen. I mean, think about it. We almost had one last year with the Chiefs. Who, and I've always said this, the Jets, the Chiefs, and the Vikings fan base are very similar. They're brothers. Brothers from the North, the Midwest, and the East. Success early on, early 70s. Vikings, four Super Bowls in the 70s. Jets and Chiefs were the two root reasons why this league exists today. Super Bowl three, Super Bowl four, the merger. And no Super Bowl appearances since then. So seeing the Chiefs fail last year against Brady and the evilness, the just just the rotten evilness and ah, uh, it just oh my god, it, words can't describe the ah, uh, Ernie Adams. Who is that dude? Is he human? Bill Belichick. I think he's a robot, like Elon Musk. Have you seen human emotion from Bill Belichick? But the Chiefs not getting that done. They crushed Jets fans too. We're brothers. But today, we talk about the scars. How it's gone down to this very day. April 20th, 420. That's right, 420. 2019. And the most heartbreaking moments in New York Jets history. We have 10 for you. Now, keep in mind, I was born in 82. So, I really didn't get a sense of what was happening until the early 90s, until Coslet. I remember Kenny O'Brien as a kid, but come on, I was way too young. Anyone who says differently, that they, they knew what was going on when they were six years old, is just a dude or gal looking for attention. So, a lot of it dismisses the 80, 80s. The 70s, listen, they were terrible. Doesn't matter. You have to actually be good to experience heartbreak. The year after the Super Bowl, the AFC title game loss against the Chiefs, come on. We could throw it in as an honorable mention, but they just came off the championship. The most shocking upset in sports history to this very day. So let's calm down. That can't be there. Call it a, a notable. Another notable is 2003 when Rain Corbett tried to hurdle the entire Chicago Bears secondary. I was in college. And Corbett was my guy. Slow white dude. 
short, slow white dude, are you kidding me? In the NFL? Walking on from Hofstra? Doesn't happen. So, to see the Jets 7-6 and six battling for their playoff lives after starting 1-4, and four, inserting Chad Pennington, going through this remarkable run to see Corbett make the catch, try to hurdle 18 Bears, it was really one, one and a half, two, and fumble to choke up the game, go 7-7, seven and seven, essentially ruin their playoff shot was tough. It was a, a big-time, big-time heartbreak. Of course, they won their last two games, dismantled the Packers in Week 17. That Pats Dolphins game in, in Week was it 16 or 17? It was Week 17 because it just played at night. That Dolphins Patriots game turned out to be the life they needed that night to dismantle the Packers at home, take the AFC East, their last division championship to this day. And then destroy Peyton Manning in the wildcard game. And then eventually lose to the Oakland Raiders in the divisional. Now we get to the top 10. Number 10, Bill Belichick. Historically, over time, it's number one. But we're talking about heartbreak at the given moment. And Belichick at the given moment... It didn't ring as loud and true as it does today. So this is the reason it's at number 10. Historically, it's one. It, it's that lone decision. Parcells holding that facts, the history between Parcells and Kraft, that lone decision has determined NFL history for two decades. Stomping on the faces of the Jets more than anybody else. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Number nine, Kenny O'Brien over Dan Marino. Again, more historical rather than at the moment, at the given time. But Marino, even though he did torch the Jets, didn't win a title, didn't have the dominance Belichick and Brady had. So again, we'll keep those outliers at number 9 and number 10. We're looking for gut punch moments. <clears throat> number 8, the Pennington injury against the Giants in preseason 2003. Coming off that 2002 season with the Corbett hurdle, and the comeback from one and four, from Vinny to Chad. 2003 was their year. They had a team. Herm, Teddy Cottrell, they, they were ready to go. Of course, Pennington couldn't stay healthy. Sacked by the Giants, lands on his right arm, breaks it, boom, there goes the season. They finish 6-10, and ten, come back the next year, make the playoffs. And that's the thing about Jets fans. Listen, since Parcells, up until 2010, they made the playoffs more than, a, more than 
I think, seven or eight NFL teams. They made the playoffs a lot. I'd say six, seven, eight NFL teams only made the playoffs more than the Jets during that time. So you can call them tortured all you want, but during that time frame, from 98 to 2010, they made the playoffs a lot. There was a lot of action, which means there's a lot of heartbreak. Number seven, Kyle Brady over Warren Sapp. Unlike O'Brien and Marino, this one was more obvious. It didn't alter the course of history as much, but it was more obvious at the time. And more outrage, more screaming at the NFL draft, more what the hell is going on. Number six, 2015 Orchard Park. Todd Bowles' rookie season. We now know the team wasn't as good as their record. The schedule was Cupcake City. Even still. They were 10-5, and five, heading into Buffalo, needing just one win for the playoffs. Ryan Fitzpatrick was not great in the game. He was also not the top culprit. Folks, the defense was laughable. Sheldon Richardson trying to play the edge because they were loaded along the interior with Richardson, Wilkerson, Leonard Williams, a rookie that year. So McCagney put Bowles in a tough situation. With no edge guys and needing to play Sheldon or Muhammad outside. 300-pound guys. I remember Sheldon trying to secure the edge. It was, it was ridiculous. He's not supposed to be out there. You can't put a 300-pound guy in the edge. It was just a stale game. They didn't have a shot from the start. They were terrible. Number six, Brett Favre collapse. Chad Pennington getting his revenge. Eric Mangini's final season. Tannenbaum swoops in, makes noise, brings Brett Favre there. Brett Favre, who didn't even really want to be there. We know this. It was working. Team was 8-3. and three, But more than Favre, it was working because of that offensive line. The best offensive line in football. To get to 8-3, and three, they beat the Tennessee Titans. Leon Washington was going nuts on the ground. They were dominant. Dominant offensive line that made everything work around them. Defense was good. They were rolling. Eight and three. Let's go. Of course, they finished nine and seven. And week 17, Chad Pennington comes in and pisses all over his former team. And Jets fans didn't know how to feel about it. They love Pennington, they love the Jets. Of course, they wanted to see the Jets win, but you get my point. That was a shot in the stomach. To have an 8-3 dominant team ready to win, lose it, but only lose it to the quarterback you just dismissed for a future Hall of Famer. What other franchise does that happen to? I mean, are you kidding me?
Number five, Doug Bryan, 2004. Today, 50-yard field goal is a walk in the park. It's a piece of cake. In 2004 for Doug Bryan, no. No. Not one, but two field goals missed in the divisional game, divisional round of the NFL playoffs against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was 24 of 29 that season. He was an accurate yet short leg. 47-yard field goal with two minutes and two seconds left off the crossbar. What? He missed that. Couldn't believe it. But wait. Eric Barton picks off Ben Roethlisberger. It's over. Jets are going to win. Herm, the cutthroat aggressive man he is, instead of rushing the ball with Martin, takes a knee, loses a couple yards. 43-yard field goal for Brian. And it's funny, I was at my friend's house for this. He's a Jets fan like me, and our other friend was there who is not a Jets fan. And as soon as they, they, they broke the huddle, went to the line, the non-Jets fan said, he's got this. I looked at him. I looked at my friend, the, uh, the Jets fan. I looked at the non-Jets fan who just said the dumbest thing in the world. I wanted to strangle him. And I knew it was over. This asshole just said he's got this. Is it irrational thought? Yeah. It's irrational thought. I'm a freaking Jets fan. Irrational thought is part of the package. It's part of the attribute. You don't do a normal thing in front of me. How dare you? Don't say normal, positive things like he's going to make it. Who do you think you are? You don't do that. I'm still friends with him today. Um... But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm miserable, so it doesn't matter. Brian misses it. They don't get the ball back in overtime. Pittsburgh goes on to the Super Bowl. Well, they go on to the AFC title game, then the Super Bowl. Number three. Nope, I'm sorry. Number four. 2010 AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, back-to-back. Heinz Field. Catch-up. Mustard. This one hurt. The year before, the Jets were playing way over their head. They had no business in the AFC title game against Peyton Manning, and it showed. This year, they had the talent. They were good. 11-5, and five, they had the talent. They had everything except an edge rush, let's be honest, and a quarterback. But the O-line was so dominant. And listen... Say what you want about Sanchez. He showed up when it mattered most. People forget about that Pittsburgh game. They came out flat. Forget, a gun, forget about a gut punch. It was a slap to the face. Coming out flat. Falling down by three scores early. But remember Sanchez. He, claw, he clawed them back. 
in that second half, even though they took their sweet time to run plays, they, they did not have a hurry up that was efficient. I felt so confident that if they got the ball back, Sanchez would deliver it, that I couldn't believe it. He had something a little different, a little special about when things mattered most. He wasn't a great quarterback, we know this. He got in his own head, but when things mattered, he seemed to come through. Anyway, coming out flat in the biggest game in franchise history up to that point, you gotta be kidding me. And that was the last moment, folks. Other than the Orchard Park disaster, that was the last moment. 2011, that 2010 AFC title game. Number three, 1982 A.J. Dewey, Richard Todd. The Jets were a fast team. They were up and down. They were an offensive team. Don Shula was a smart son of a bitch. He screwed up the field during that strike-shortened season. He screwed up the field, messed with the Jets' offense. Richard Todd, five picks. Three to A.J. Dewey. A.J. Dewey. All right, this is the same year I was born, so this is not for me to elaborate on. But you older Jets fans, you can let it hit you. You know, let it sink in. Remember that time 36 years ago, 37 years ago, and lament. Number two. 1999, the Vinny Testaverde injury. This was the New York Jets' best team, other than 68. Never had the experts been so unanimous in picking one team, one Jets team, throughout the course of their history, to get to the Super Bowl as championship title favorites. Game number one, Vinny tears his Achilles. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How? Parcells did a great job after the terrible start. I don't even remember what it was. One and seven, I forget. Finishing eight and eight with Ray Lucas. Remember Tom Tupa came in. Uh... The way they ran the emergency quarterback situation, it made sense to bring Tupa in after Testaverde got hurt through a touchdown. Uh, he played a little quarterback with the Cardinals, the Phoenix Cardinals, back in the early 90s, I believe. But not important. Number one, that wind. 1998 AFC Championship game in Denver. This was their moment. This was it. 82, 86, 2009, 2010, 98 was their moment. 12 and 4, the final four that year was the, the Jets, the Broncos, the Vikings, and the Falcons. The other three teams were 14 and 2. Jets were 12 and 4. The top four beasts made it to the final four. And the Jets had their moment. The Broncos were coming off the Super Bowl. John Elway had his ring. He didn't need to win another one, folks. That's not the way NFL history needed to go. He got one. 
He was good. So fate, forget fate. When Blake Spence blocked that punt with a little under 12 minutes to go in the third quarter and Curtis Martin ran it in, I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and I thought this was it. I, I couldn't believe it. Parcells comes in, and in the second year, they're going to the Super Bowl? Are you kidding me? I was ecstatic when they were 8-8 eight and eight in the early 90s, just making it into the playoffs and getting blasted. 10 nothing. 10 nothing. 10 nothing in the third quarter. Broncos get the ball back. Victor Green and Otis Smith, what were you two doing? It was a cover two or a cover two man, too deep. Otis, it looked like Otis was taking the taking the lower zone, passing off the post to Victor Green, but Victor Green came up on the on the cross and let Ed McCaffrey go right by him. It was the immediate play after going up 10 nothing. 50, 60 yard post to McCaffrey off the play action. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. They score. The ensuing kickoff, Jason Elam, one of the most one of the most strongest legs in NFL history, kicks it short. I don't think he was intentionally doing it, but regardless, kicks it short. Ball bounces straight up. The wind helps it. Broncos recover. I have never seen another kickoff recovery like that in NFL history. Think about the odds. Think about how crazy that freaking thing is. What, are you kidding me? An onside 50-yard kick. Broncos recover. Tied up 10-10. And so we can kick off again, it's short. Bounces up. Dangerous times for the second consecutive kickoff. Dave Meggett gets it. Falls down. Jets have it. But from there on, it was done. The shock. The punch in the chest cavity. The air had left the entire team. Those moments, those plays after that block punt and that Curtis Martin touchdown was it. And it just destroyed the entire 53-man depth chart and coaching staff. It's number one by a long shot. I know the other ones are tough, but that was their moment. In Pittsburgh in 2010, they did not have the lead. 2009... Colts didn't have a shot. 82, Richard Todd was not ready. 98, they were up 10 nothing. And there you have it. This is why I am this person. This is why so many of you are the way you are. It's tough to explain sometimes. Uh... You know, it should be on job applications, actually. You know, are you disabled? Are you a veteran? Do you have a sponsorship to work in the U.S.? 
Are you a New York Jets fan? Simple yes or no would suffice. You don't need the I decline to answer because that's that's important material. This season, the hype, as we discussed yesterday, is already real. It's already up. If this draft doesn't go the way it needs to go, offensive line and edge, another gut punch is forthcoming. But we'll see. We'll hold, we'll reserve judgment. We'll see what happens. Hopefully McCagney gets over his allergic reactions to drafting offensive line with premium picks because that's the only way they're going to make things happen for this kid quarterback so my tortured people hang in there